0: is going to stay up here because we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. But um, just as we were thinking through election day and, and preparing for, a, you know, kind of an unusual evening, um, there's a story that I was reminded of from God's word. It's a story that's found in Joshua chapter 3, and it's one of those stories that is such a reminder in Joshua and the people of God, and I'll explain even kind of the context for the book of Joshua, one of those moments where they were reminded when things feel out of control and chaotic, remember. Remember who your God is. Remember that He's at work when you can't see it and you can't connect the dots. Remember everything in this world full of brokenness is still in His hands. If you're familiar with the book of Joshua, so. Old Testament is about the nation of Israel and God's relationship with the nation of Israel. God shows up in the book of Genesis to a guy named Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. God shows up, says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, the nation of Israel. Abraham has these 12 sons, and over and over, uh, or Abraham has one son. He has a son that has um, many, many sons, and God builds this incredible nation, and he grows this people group. They find themselves in Egypt, then they're enslaved for 400 years. And God had promised, I'm gonna build this great nation. You're gonna have just this promised land that I'm gonna give to you And 400 years go by. And a lot of the Jewish people are going, maybe God has forgotten us. I'm looking around and all I know is slavery. All I know is being oppressed. It doesn't seem like we're the chosen people of God. And if we are, I'm not even sure I wanna be the chosen people of God. And then a baby boy named Moses is born. Moses grows up and God says you're going to lead my people out of bondage. Moses goes, you may have seen the movie, prince of Egypt, he goes to Pharaoh says let my people go. Eventually after a handful of plagues the people of Israel are free. It's one thing to be free, but they don't have any place to go to. They're a nation of a wandering people group. They don't have a land. And because of decisions that they made in ways they didn't trust God, they wandered in the desert for 40 years waiting. To be brought into this promised destination. God said, I have a place for the people of God. And Moses is like George Washington to the nation of Israel. I mean, he's like the, the uh, he's the guy who set him free. He's the guy that founded the nation. He's the guy that gave him the law. And they get up to the edge of the promised land. They're about to enter in. They've been waiting years and years. Their great, 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 great grandparents have been waiting for the state. They get up to the promised land edge. And God says... Moses, you're not going in. Your time is done. And Moses passes away. And God says, Joshua, you are going to lead the people of God. Now to us, we're like, oh, we get the story. Moses was cool and Joshua was cool. This would have been huge shoes to fill. You're filling in for the George Washington, Abraham Lincoln combo, the guy who would strike a, with his staff a rock and water would come out. He parted the ocean God threw him, parted the ocean with his staff. I mean, those are big shoes to fill. If you're filling in for a guy who can tap rocks and make water come out, it's not an easy game. And Joshua is told that he's going to lead the people of Israel. And the nation is going, are we sure, God, we're almost in. Like, just let Moses take us in. And God says, Joshua is going to take you into the promised land. And he gives him an order. He says, Joshua, I want you to take the people. And I want you to walk up to the edge of this river that was separating them from going into the promised land. And the story that we're about to read, it reflects of those moments of what you do. And the reminder is about to get in the people of Israel, God, that God is always in control. He's always at work. And every little turn in the story has meant to point us to him. So Joshua was told, hey, I got to get two million people. And I want you to take them up to this river's edge called Jordan and on the other side of the river is the promised land. You guys could march a long, long way around and not have to go through that, but I want you to walk right up to the river's edge and I want you to look at the land that I'm about to give you. So Joshua goes and he tells the people we're about to go to the river's edge and and then God gives them another command. And here's what he says in Joshua chapter three, verse eight. Give this command, Joshua, to the priests, those who carry the Ark of the Covenant, Ark of the Covenant, doesn't mean a lot to us ark of the covenant would have been the visible representation of god's presence to the nation of israel most valuable thing they had held the ten commandments in there most valuable thing that they had and it represented hey god who exists is on our side he's with us his presence is here the most valuable thing we have and god says i want you to tell the priest to take the ark of the covenant which is a big piece of wood or wooden box if you will and when they reached the banks of the jordan river Take a few steps into the river and stop there. Joshua gives us instruction and the priest must have thought, wait a second, what? The new guy in charge is telling us to take the most valuable thing that we have and step into as we're about to see a rushing river with it. A river that we can't possibly swim across or even get across. And you want us to begin to walk out in the water. What in the world? But Joshua gives him the command. This is what God said to do. Verse 14, so the people left their camp to cross the Jordan River, and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, they went ahead of them. It was harvest season. Your translation may say it was flood season. And the Jordan was overflowing at its banks. The Jordan River, here's a map of the Jordan River just so you can kind of see what's going on. The people of God have been told, hey, we're going to cross over the Jordan River at the very bottom is it is the Dead Sea, and they're somewhere right near the city of Jericho, and they're on this side, and God says, all the land to the left of the Jordan River is going to be yours, and you're going to cross over it. But they come during the worst time of the year to come. God says, you guys have been wandering for 40 years, and I want you right now to go prepare to cross over the Jordan River. Why do I say it's the worst time? Because it was during harvest season. What does the river look like during harvest season? Here's a picture of today during the flood season or harvest season where it is a rushing water, rushing more than— at 10 miles an hour. It swells from 50 feet wide to 150 feet wide. It's impossible to touch the ground because it just overflows during this one small window a year. And God, it's not like he needed to go during that time. They've been wandering 40 years and God says, right now, we need to bring the people and take a few steps into the water until the ark or tell the priest to move in to the Jordan River, and here's what happens. As soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the ark touched the water's edge, the water above that point began backing up a great distance away at a town called Adam. We can't find, side note, Adam on a map today. The only way we know it is because of the reference to the city it's by, which is near Zarathun. But the source of the water was coming from this town called Adam. And as soon as the priest stepped in, it began to be dried up at the source of the water. At that point, the water that was below flowed on to the Dead Sea until it was just the riverbed. This was not like the dividing water of parting the Red Sea, if you're familiar with that, where Moses goes up and says, divide the water. This was a moment where it would be like similar to letting the water out of a bathtub, where just in a moment, priests step in, they begin to see, I think some of the water is coming out. In other words, it stopped miles away. Some scholars estimate it would have taken two hours where the priests of the Ark of the Covenant are just standing there thinking like, think like they're holding uh, something that would have looked almost like a coffin people burying a coffin in his funeral. And they're standing there for two hours and they watch the water and J- Joshua's sitting there, newly elected leader going, man, I hope this works. I really hope that was God talking not the devil telling me to tell them to take the Ark of the Covenant into the riverbed. And slowly but surely, the water dissipates. Then all of the people, two million of them, crossed over near the town of Jericho Meanwhile, the priests who were carrying the ark of the Lord's covenant stood on dry ground in the middle of the riverbed as the people passed by. They waited there until the whole nation of Israel had crossed by on the Jordan on dry ground. So the nation, one by one, walk across and are able to cross the thing that was keeping them out of entering into God's promised destination for them. The barrier is stopped because the ark, this wooden Box containing symbolizing the presence of God allows the barrier to be removed, and one by one they walk over. And what happens next, we don't have time to go into it, but it's such a beautiful story. In Joshua chapter 4, they all get over to the other side. They're about to be in the promised land, and God says, I want you to remember. What I've done for you this day and what I do in general. So here's what I want you to do. While the riverbed's still dry, I want you to take 12 big strong guys, the guys who you'd put on the football team, Joshua, take those guys, tell them to go get 12 huge stones out of the riverbed and pick them up and on the side where the promised land you're about to enter is, I want you to build a 12-stone monument. And here's why I want you to build it. It's so fascinating. I want you to put them and stack them up together. So that every time you and your children and your children's children walk by those stones and they go, that's kind of funny. Like, why are there 12 random rocks there? You tell them of what I did for you this day. Your God provides. Your God makes a way. Your God is the one you trust in, not yourself, not your circumstances. And they build this memorial. Memorial. And then after that, the nation goes and they begin to make camp. They begin to set up campfires and they're putting their tents out and you've got millions of people. As far as you can see, there's camels and there's horses and people and they're setting up their kids and they're getting used to like, this is gonna be where we're eventually gonna live. And Joshua is taking the whole thing in. He's still a little uncertain over what's gonna happen next. So he decides, man, I'm gonna go scout out the land. I just wanna go make sure there's no enemies nearby. I wanna go see what's kind of around us. And We're told that he leaves the camp. In Joshua chapter 5 verse 13 it says When Joshua was near the town of Jericho he looked up and he saw a man standing right in front of him with his sword in hand drawn Joshua went up to him and he demanded, "Are you a friend or a foe? Are you with us or against us?" The man replied, "Neither one. I am the commander of the Lord's army." At this Joshua fell on his face to the ground in reverence. I am at your command, Joshua said. What do you want your servant to do? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals. For the place that you're standing is holy. Joshua did as he was told. The commander of the Lord's army, scholars have pointed out for years and years, likely is the pre-incarnate Christ. It's basically Jesus before Jesus came and lived on this planet. That it is the commander, it is the one, the ruler of the Lord's Army in heaven and the ruler of this world. And Joshua is looking face to face with the angel of the Lord. The angel of the Lord says, Take off your sandals. I mean, when you read that, you're like, That's kind of a funny thing. Why would would it be holy ground? Because he's in the presence of God. The angel. The commander, if you will, begins to explain, hey, here's what you're going to do. You're going to go and he gives them basically the marching orders. You're going to take down the city of Jericho. This is the land I've promised you. And you're going to go march around it. You're familiar with that story you've heard, but they go out and they bring the marching band and they march around the city of Jericho and the walls topple down. But Joshua was reminded in that moment out, just him looking at whatever that commander looked like. Joshua, you think you're in control, but there's ultimately one who is higher in authority than you. And you may be the commander of things down here, but there is a commander of all things under who you fall, under whose authority you live. He's the one who's over all authority at all times and all places and everywhere. And who you can trust and ultimately is in command of the circumstances and of the people and of the leaders in this world. And Joshua learned The lesson that day. He also learned that God has invited us in every circumstance that we are to trust in Him, not to put our trust in our ability and what we hope could happen and what we and some other friends think could happen, but to put our trust in Him, not in our giftings or our job or our health, to put our trust in Him. Why would you tell them? to come up to the riverbank, to come up to the Jordan River during the worst time possible. Other times you could possibly jump on top of a horse, you could swim across, you could do something to get the people across and you tell them to come up to the riverbank's edge in the midst of the single time during the year where it would be impossible to cross. Unless you're involved, God. Because what he wanted to communicate to Joshua and to the people of Israel And to me, and to you, is he's inviting you to live this life, not trusting in your circumstances or yourself. That is a recipe for continually being disappointed, depressed, finding despair, but put your confidence in my ability to provide. Trust what I tell you to do. And you'll experience my provision, my protection, and the path towards the life that you want. But you've got to trust and you've got to surrender to me. And you've got to say, God, if you say it, what I'm going to do, I'm going to do it. No matter when things look crazy around me, I'm going to trust in what you say and what you've done and who you are. And Joshua learned that day. This is why some people, when they walk through life, the more they grow in their faith and their trust in God, like, it's like the more, no matter what they face, they have this incredible peace marks and they could face like the worst layoff of all time and they trust God and I'm like God is good I don't like this but he's in control and you know what I trust him and then there's other people facing the exact same thing and they're freaking out I went this past Friday and we went on a double date my wife and I and and some longtime close friends of ours and we went to Six Flags my wife's like happy place at Six Flags she is one of those funny people who is like so risk averse in everything in life except for like the worst of all times roller coasters. she's like yes this is the greatest. And so we went to Six Flags. And it was Fright Fest, which if you're not from Dallas, even if you are from Dallas, it's, it's a trip. And uh, so we're there. We're at Six Flags. It's uh, like a fog machine overdose. And um, we're getting ready to go on the roller coaster rides. And my wife is just freaking out. She's like, yes, let's go on the Superman, the crazy one, and then the Batman, Joker. And she just, like, loves it. And, um, and I'm with one of my close friends who is, like, the entire uh, totally opposite. Like he's like, um, I don't know if we should do that. I'm, I'm going to go get like a funnel cake or something. And he's like looking at the ride and he's like, look, there's like a 16-year-old kid switching the button over here. And look, they've been closed six months. Who's done the maintenance on this stuff? Why would I even want to pay to be freaked out right now? I could have a heart attack. And just the contrast between the two of them could not be any different. Where I'm like, yo, bro, I mean, there's like a five-year-old in front of us in line. I think you're going to be okay. And he's like, I just, you know, it's not my thing. And the entire time, even on the ride, where my wife is like, it's so funny. Um, and apparently this is like a thing, uh, you know, I guess among people, but certainly uh, among uh, women wired like my wife, where they're like, no risk, but yes, freaking out, hands up in the air. And that was her, but on the same ride, he was like, oh, no, 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 I'm <laughs> just freaking out. They were in the same circumstance. They were literally sitting two feet apart experiencing the exact same rush, the exact same speed, exact same velocity, exact same turns, exact thing, everything, one of them is totally at peace, and one of them is freaking out. What's the difference? One of them trusts the roller coaster. One of them trusts those who are behind and those who put together and those who created the roller coaster. they trust the ride and the other one doesn't. This is why people can walk through horrific circumstances. Many in this room that are representative, people walking through and it's like, I found out at 34, I've got breast cancer. Somebody who finds out at 27, hey, I've got a now autoimmune disease that's gonna impact me for the rest of my life or I just lost my job from COVID. Everything that I've been saving up for is all gone. But in that place, despite the circumstances being terrible, they go, "God's got a plan and I trust him." And he's going to bring good about from this, and I don't like it, and I wouldn't have chosen this, but I trust him. I really believe he, he exists. He's real. He's at work. And I trust him. And then somebody in that exact same circumstance, and they're walking through and things aren't going the way that they want, and they just collapse faith falls apart. What's the difference between those two people? On the turns and flips of life, one of them trusts the one who's behind all the movements, and one of them doesn't. And Joshua's message that he received could not have been more clear joshua look at me i don't want you i don't want the people i don't want anyone to trust in you or to trust in moses or to trust in anything that you can do i want you to trust in me not in your leader not in your abilities not in how well you can speak not in how well things are going or how i want look at me joshua trust in me and that message rang loudly the nation that day. And we live in a world where we are constantly, even as Christians, being told to put our trust in something else. And the message over and over in Scripture is, hey, no matter what happens, you do not have to fear the terror of the night, as Psalm 91 says, you are to trust in me. Put your confidence, I got it. I'm in control no matter what happens, no matter what you face. Listen to me, I got you. You can trust me. Trust what I've said and my word. Do these things. I don't let you down. When you live obediently to me, you're going to see it was worth it. It was better. You can trust me. And no matter what happens in an election day, at a local level, at a state level, at a national level, any of those things, God is in control. No one sits In the White House, who ordains or is over all things, that is a role uniquely taken by God. And there's a leader for every national leader. And Joshua that day looked him eye to eye. And let me be clear, one day, if you're a follower of Christ, you're going to see him eye to eye. You're going to see the ultimate leader, the king of kings, the leader of leaders, whose name is Jesus, who would revelation. You're going to see him eye to eye. And it says his eyes are like fire. And all people will see. There is only one name, there's only one leader, there's only one person worthy of your worship, of living obediently to, and following and trusting with your life. And his name is Jesus. And Joshua, whose name, oddly enough, means Jesus. I mean, Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Jesus. Yeshua is the Hebrew name for Joshua. Joshua saw it that day. And we've been invited as the people of God, no matter what's going on, and I know no matter who wins an election tonight, there's gonna be a lot of people upset, a lot of people hurt, a lot of people confused or sad or any of those things. And God has said, don't put your confidence in man, put it in me. You can trust me. The hope for Christians is ultimately in the one who's over command of every heart in a second God could save if Joe Biden wins God can save and awaken if he hasn't had a relationship with Jesus in a moment he can make every single senator every single president every single mayor every single governor all of them radically followers of Jesus and shame on me or shame on anyone who doesn't fully believe that and have faith that that can happen. In a moment, he could do the same thing with Donald Trump. Take him and in a moment say, I'm going to radically capture your heart and you're going to surrender to me and you will not be a ruler of this land who's not ruled by me in your heart. And he can do that. And as people of God, we've been reminded we have access to the one who's in command of all things. And we can rest there. I love that he he didn't say I'm on your side. I mean, he's talking the nation of Israel. If anybody, Joshua should be like, hey, are you on our side or are you on their side? And he's like, look, I'm not on either side. You need to wonder if you're on my side. That's what he says. Tony Evans said it's such a great line. Look, as a reflection of this and this, you know, essentially being Jesus in the text that, hey, Jesus didn't come to take sides. He came to take over and he's going to take over. So you don't need to worry if he's on your side, if he's on the side of Republicans, if he's on the side of Democrats. You need to make sure you are on his side. And you think through the lens of what is God's side as it relates to policies and issues and all that stuff, all of which is important. But the question is not, he's not here to take a side. He is here to take over. And we as the people of God need to make sure, I wanna be on his side. And what he cares about, I care about. Ultimately, the story of Joshua and the people crossing over the Jordan River doesn't just in the text point to like how God is the leader of leaders. It points to the text how this story is about something so much bigger and so much more important. And I'm about to close down, and we're going to have a chance to pray. This story is about almost like no other story in the New Testament or in the Old Testament that I know. In every turn, points to Jesus. It, it, it's shocking, and if you read back through it and you think about it, almost in every way imaginable, you you see the fingerprints. This story, at the entire time, it was all pointing to Jesus. It's all pointing to him. What do I mean by that? You have a leader named Yeshua, which is the Hebrew name for Jesus. If Joshua lived and Jesus lived in the Greek translation, it would have been Jesus. And this man shows up and God says, I'm going to have you be the one through whom the people of God are able to enter into the promised destination that I have for them. Much like us being promised that through the leader of Jesus we could enter into eternity. Joshua, you're going to, through you, be the person who allows them to enter into the promised land of God. And how are you going to do it? Through a piece of wood. The separation from the people of God and the promised destination of God. The separating barrier will be overcome by a piece of wood. And that wood is going to stop that barrier all the way back to its source, Adam, much like the people of God, who by trusting in Jesus Christ and the work he did on a piece of wood called a cross, where he was crucified and he was killed for your sin and my sin, and by trusting in that, the barrier of the separation from us and eternal life through that piece of wood is no longer something that keeps or has to keep anyone from having eternally the ability to spend life with God. And he's going to cut it off all the way back to its source, Adam. The Bible says that sin and everything uh, sinful and broken in our world comes from the source of Adam and Eve and the garden and all of that sin. It's all been tracing. And Jesus shows up, and through the work that he did, through a piece of wood, stops all of it back all the way to the source. He pays for every sin everywhere, and he removes the barrier so the people of God don't have to be separated from him. And every turn, it points to Jesus the one who told Joshua that day, take your sandals off. You stand on holy ground. And let me be abundantly clear. All of life points to Jesus or is Jesus' attempt and God's attempt, no matter what you're walking through and as challenging as it is, for you to have his attention, for God to get your attention, to look to him. Then no matter what you are walking through, trust in me. Trust in me. And in every page, in every turn, all throughout the story, it's clear to see. He was always pointing to him, the God who through a piece of wood and a leader named Yeshua or Jesus would make a way for the people of God to enter into the rest and ultimately to enter into eternity. With him. Our confidence as Christians has nothing to do with 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, which is where the White House is. Our hope and our confidence has everything to do with a cross and a crucifixion that happened right outside of the Jerusalem walls 2,000 years ago. And then three days later, when the only election that mattered, when Jesus was called out of the grave, conquering death. And I love this country. I love America. I got, I got American socks on right now. I love America. But America is not our hope. And our hope as Christians doesn't come from the stars and stripes on the American flag. It comes from the scars on the hands of our savior and the stripes on his back that for all of eternity show us the lengths to which God was willing to go for you and for me and the reason why you can trust me no matter what happens and what's ahead so what we're going to do right now is take a chance to do something we've rarely done and I just want to invite us to pray I'm going to ask if you're comfortable in just a second and you're okay, and there's no physical reason why you couldn't, or you're just okay with doing so, we're just going to hit our knees. We've got spread out, we've got spaces, and you can just turn, and we can hit our knees. And we're going to pray specifically for a few things. This is a crazy, it's a crazy time. And I want you to pray for both presidents or candidates. I want you to pray for Joe Biden to have a deep, abiding relationship with Jesus. And if you just left, like, the Trump rally, and you're like, I hate that guy. If you don't want Joe Biden to spend eternity with Jesus, there is something deeply wrong with you. If you're on the opposite spectrum, and you're like, no, I can't believe you would even say pray for Trump. If you don't want President Trump to spend eternity with Jesus, there's something deeply wrong with you. And neither, wherever they sit in this life matters way less than where they will spend eternity. And so we're gonna pray for both of them, that God, you would save them. You answer prayers all the time. And we're gonna storm heaven and just say, would you save these men? If they have a relationship with you? Would you kindle it so that it would be the guiding force in their life, how they tweet, how they pass policy, how they do everything? And then I want you to pray for elected officials just across the board, mayors, senators. If you live in Fayetteville, those in Arkansas, if you live in Boise, Idaho, pray for those in Idaho. If you live in Houston, pray for those in Harris County. If you live in uh, Philadelphia, pray for those in Pennsylvania. All the different locations that are tuning in, I just want you to pray for elected officials that God would have rulers who are ruled by him leading in our country. And then I want you to pray for the church, that in the midst of the chaos in this world, that we would be strong. We would be salt and light. There's a lot of hurting people. There's a lot of people that don't have work right now. There's a lot of people that can't afford to pay, pay their mortgage. They can't feed their kids. They're not sure... They'll ever have life the way that they thought life was supposed to look back. And the church and our opportunity to care for all people has never been greater. And listen to me very closely. Policies matter. We should talk about the economy. That stuff matters. We should talk about race relations. That stuff matters biblically from a race. uh, The most significant thing about a person is whether they're going to spend eternity with Jesus or not. Economy, both if you are rich and if you're poor, you need Jesus Both alike. Policies matter. We should talk about COVID and getting a vaccine. But here's the reality. Vaccine or not, everyone is going to die and spend eternity somewhere. And there is no vaccine that can save anyone from the disease of sin. But there is a cure. Jesus has extended, and so we're going to pray as the church of Jesus Christ that God, would the gospel go forward in our land, would revival break out, would you start in our hearts, and would you save people, and would the church be strong, because there is going to be a huge opportunity to give the world the peace it's looking for, the hope it's looking for, the the fighting for rights it's looking for, those things don't just fall out of the sky and come from nowhere but they're clearly represented in the Bible and the text and the Christian perspective on the world. So we're gonna pray that the church, like never before, would spread like wildfire. And then I'm gonna close this in prayer. We're gonna sing a couple more songs. But I just right now, I wanna invite you, if you're comfortable, to storm the gates of heaven, a few thousand of us all around this campus, those listening elsewhere, If you would just be comfortable getting on your knees, spending time praying for presidents or candidates, other local leaders, and for the church. And then I'll pray and bring us out of it. through Jesus we have been made citizens of heaven partakers of the divine nature and we are members of a city and a nation whose founder and architect is God and whose walls will never be shaken and will never end we pray that you would strengthen the church in our land That you would strengthen all of our love for you and our devotion to you and our faith in you and our trust in you and you would help us to be your hands and feet in the world around us as it literally at times feels like it's burning, as it figuratively is falling apart, that you would help your people to be strong, to be agents of compassion and love and the fruit of the spirit, which uniquely those who have the spirit of God, we can bring into this world that it would bear much fruit and a harvest would take place across our country not for the sake of preserving America, but for the sake of preserving souls. The most significant thing about a person is not who they vote for, is not the political office, it is where they are in relationship to you. So we repent of ways that we have not believed that, we have not operated with that deep understanding in mind that there are people who will spend eternity apart from you, who will live this entire life and they may win an election, but they're gonna go without hope and they're gonna go to hell And so would you give us eyes to see as you see, we pray that you would save President Trump and that he would have a deep, abiding relationship with you and walk with you and be surrendered to you wherever he ends up, whether it's in the White House or some other location. We pray for Joe Biden, that he would have a relationship with you that is deep and real and abiding and the spirit of God would capture his heart. that whatever you have for him, he would operate out of an overflow and surrender to that. Father, we pray for those who are hurting in our nation and in our world. Would you help us, your people, you put us here to be salt, to preserve a world that is dying and decaying, to be light, to be a glimpse, to a watching world of what it looks like to know you. Would you help us in the darkness to be brighter? And I pray that the next Billy Graham The next deal moody the next revival and awakening would happen through the hands and feet and mouths and lives of someone right now listening in this room that you would do abundantly more than all we could ever ask think or imagine thank you that we because of what you did on the cross we don't have to fear the terror of the night because we abide in the shadow of the almighty we thank you for jesus who has changed us and is changing us and we ask that you would help not just bring revival in our land, but in all the places in our hearts, in our lives that need you to take more ground. Would you take ground? Would you start with me? We love you. We worship you now in song. Amen.